0: For those of you listeners who know my background a bit, you might remember the stories of my first few jobs after college. From being a mall cop to selling makeup door to door, I realized that I had skills that were being underutilized and that these minimum wage jobs couldn't support me or last forever. I spent years going through YouTube, reading books, listening to podcasts, and taking enough online courses to reinvent myself as a professional copywriter and digital marketer. Years later, thanks to my side hustles and drive, I've worked with national news outlets. Million dollar tech startups, nonprofits, and celebrities to build their brands and drive sales. None of this could have happened if I didn't develop in demand skills. I had to do this alone, but you don't have to. You have Hustlers University 2.0. Hustlers University 2.0 is a community where you can learn real skills to earn money online today, starting with side hustles you can use to elevate your game. I'm not just an advocate for Hustlers University, I'm also a student. Every professor is verified to be making 10K to 500K monthly in their selected field. You get full resources, lesson plans, and an active community of thousands of other Hustlers University students working on skills such as stock analysis, cryptocurrencies, e-commerce, copywriting, which was my favorite course, one I actually went ahead and took last month. And as a copywriter of seven years, I even took a ton out of that, including some of the resources I was able to take over to my day job. You also learn freelancing, financial planning affiliate marketing, business management, and so much more. If you're tired of depending on a boss who hates you to deliver your paycheck or have learned since the lockdowns that controlling the source of your income is vital to your individual freedom, sign up for Hustlers University 2.0 today using the link in the show notes. I'll see you there. why did you want to move out of DC? I thought I just ripped the bandaid off. Everyone wants to go to DC. All the, all the, all the smart, pretty people want to move to DC. DC is where you've succeeded in life. So why on earth would you want to move out? I moved out because according to one person, I failed at DC, but uh, I, I, I look around now here in the snowy tundra of Wisconsin, where the people are nicer and the beer is better. And I'm thinking I made a good decision.
1: Well, you know what? There's a certain type of person that will not fail in DC. And that is a person with a stone cold heart. Okay. And, and a really big pocketbook. Like, I feel like the, the one thing they don't tell you. So, so they say like, you know, if you go to DC, you'll be like rich and powerful. You'll be around like a bunch of like powerful people. The one thing they don't tell you is that you, you need to have it before you go to DC. If you don't want to get absolutely crushed. Um, I just felt like it was very cutthroat. It was really hard to make any kind of long-term consistent relationship because everybody, it was just so transient and it was really difficult to make money. Um, I was having to live off of like a very, like the cheapest apartment I could possibly find was still like, bar- like I was barely meeting my rent and my food needs and all that stuff um, with the kind of income I was making, which was like, very low. and And the weird thing is that um from like minimum wage type of things, like from like you know, because I, I did a whole career change when I moved to Texas, started from the bottom, started in real estate, working at restaurants. And um ironically, I make a, a lot more money from that kind of thing than I did for my professional TV producer job in d c, ironically, and my cost of living is dramatically lower. And it's like, it feels like just anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to ramble too much, but like, I just feel so much better, dude. I feel like I can take a breath and the people I'm meeting, first of all, everybody doesn't hate my guts because I'm a. Fox news person, you know, like nobody cares or they love it actually. Cause it's Texas. And then also the people that I meet, like the friends that I've been making, I have maybe like one or two friends here. They're, they live here. They lived here their whole lives and they're not going anywhere.
0: It's cool. Their, their whole life isn't focused on what the big next step is and i mean what what's been amazing because i you know you and i haven't probably spoken in about 2 years because life got in the way and things like that to yeah. go from you know like conservative influencer media type to leaving to go to texas and rebuild yourself from scratch that's a big move i mean when when i left when i left dc in 2021 um, people were like, oh, you're, you're taking a step down, despite the fact that I was taking a job where I was making more money. Um, no one's really going to know what you're doing anymore, which is funny because everyone likes to spy on everyone else and figure out what everyone else is doing because they're nosy. And um, you know, you're away from where all the action is, a- a- assuming that it was fun, assuming that like important things were happening. And in the past year, because I think uh, a year ago, like this weekend is when I moved to Wisconsin, it was it was terrifying because I didn't know anybody here. I couldn't even find Wisconsin on the map. It's the thumb (laughs) next to Michigan and the Great Lakes. It's right there. And, um, you know, it was it, it was one of those moments where it took it took a long time to adjust. I don't think I even saw my my apartment, which is a palace compared to the one bedroom apartments in like crystal city in Arlington, Alexandria, that people were paying like insane amounts of money for. I look around and it's like, I'm, I'm finally doing something right. But it took me having to prioritize myself to have to get to that point.
1: Yeah. Well, I think going back to what you're saying about people saying like, Oh, you're going to lose all those connections or whatever. And I I know you worked for some big big people in politics and media and I remember that and we were both kind of in that space and I had the same feeling like oh no if I leave you know if I if I go and do a career change I'm gonna let go of like all these connections I had but the thing is like nobody gives a shit anyway and uh you you don't lose those connections um if if it's kind of like your connections, no matter where they're from, they're always going to pop back up. Um, as long as you're doing, as long as you're happy, like, and I know it sounds cheesy, but like, as long as you're doing what you like it, you don't have to be in that specific industry.
0: Yeah. And I mean, the, the big thing for me came to the point where I was like, or any of the things I'm doing actually getting me somewhere I don't think I've ever talked about the story but like what's funny is this is the first time you and I have done a podcast that's actually gonna get released because two years ago we tried doing one on my old show and all the technology I'm was crap and then you and I tried producing
1: sorry no <laughs> it,
0: it was it, it was anchors problem it, it was the it was the programs problem everything is good now knock on wood but like then you know you you and I were part of a a network that was trying to start up all these other shows and programs and everyone was working for free I was dealing with kind of a a psycho boss which was funny because you don't get to yell at me if you don't pay me but he found it was appropriate to do that so I was I was going into DC I had all my like shit equipment with me we tried recording
1: which which boss was it again I'll Can bleep it.
0: I'll, I'll bleep it out. Yeah, it was.
1: Oh, shit. Oh, I rem- Oh my God. Uh, I he he called
0: me. He called me at like, you know, you know, the worst hours of the day. You need to do this. And you need to fix this. And it's like, motherfucker, you're not even paying me.
1: Yeah. You want to know why? Because he has done so much work without getting paid, which like you should not do that you should not work without getting paid but like in his mind he sees it as like well i i you know he's done a lot of work for other people that we know without getting paid and so in his mind he's like well i do there's those work for, for- how- getting paid. Other people should do it for me. It's like, no, other people should not do it for you. That's how you like, that's not how you there's that's not leverage. You can't get people to do shit for you like that.
0: I worked at GameStop at one point, like four or five months after all that. And I was like, I'm treated better at GameStop here making minimum wage than I was doing that thing that was going to set up my career. And oh, yeah. it's, it's like, you know, you, you and I tried producing a show And I mean, you were, you were going through school at the time I was still trying to find a job and, you know, here we were in your apartment in DC trying to record this podcast. And (laughs) honestly, the the one thing going through my mind was it's like, how much work do we have to do before we make a dollar?
1: Remember we were talking about making a, um, a vlog about tumbleweaves, the tumbleweaves,
0: those are still there (laughs)
1: light of the tumbleweave.
0: Yeah, if people don't know what a tumbleweave is, it's a weave that goes missing and it gets, you know, wrapped up with like leaves and other shit and you see them all over DC. I've seen them in like Chicago and places like that, but the tumbleweave <laughs> is uniquely DC. But um yeah, I mean it was it, it took years because after that Um, you know, I still try doing some stuff like that, but I was a bit more of an advocate for myself. I'm like, I need to make some money doing this, but ultimately it came down to the point where, especially over the last couple of years, 2020, especially I was like, it's, it's not that I'm making bad decisions. It's that I'm surrounding myself with people that don't know how to make good decisions for themselves either. And I think I need, I think I need distance.
1: Yeah. Why Texas? the kind of people that are attracted to a place like DC are not money-minded people. They're people with a cause. So in their mind, like, like the cause, whatever cause it is, like political, whatever is important enough to like, get you to do the thing for that. You know what I mean? The cause or the prestige, like so many people are walking around DC with like no pay, but they think they're like moving somewhere in life because like someone said that this is a prestigious thing. And to me, it's all bullshit. And Um, you know, maybe because of my background, you know, Persian Jewish grew up in a very hustler immigrant type of family where like my parents went literally from drinking their own piss in the desert to like, you know, building business and like living in Beverly Hills and all that stuff. So I grew up with this mentality of like, you don't chase after politics and causes you chase after money. And so the thing about Texas is people actually move here to make money. Like that's Um, that's what I was, I mean, I was like, I was kind of studying up on the culture in Dallas. Like before I moved here, I was looking at the the real estate market because I wanted to get into real estate and, um, you know, nobody's moving to Texas to fight for a political cause. They're moving to Texas because they want a better life. They want to make money. They want to build like a business. And so I realized after being in DC for a while that like, I realize, like, that's what I care about. I care about, you know, like I want to have a family. I want to like build like businesses. And also like people are happier. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's the weather. Actually it's the weather. A, stuff. It's a
0: whole, it's a whole different vibe. It's like here, it's like, you know, 20 degrees outside, but people here are nice. One thing I figured out about Wisconsin is like, if you're going to like McDonald's or something and go through the drive through window and they're like, hi, how are you? And you just say, okay. They take offense to that because they want to have a conversation with you. They want to know, okay, what's okay. Are you okay? It's like, oh, (laughs) now I feel rude because I didn't want to have a full conversation with you. I was just automatically responding to be polite. What what was the moment for you when you were like, you know what? I, I can't be here. Did did you move to Texas before or after 2020?
1: During 2020.
0: During the shit?
1: Yeah. Well, so, so, so it was, I did I did I ever okay so this is not public information yet I guess but I was working uh, I was doing ghostwriting for the PR uh, sorry I was ghostwriting for the Trump campaign in 2020 when all this shit went down and um, I was yeah and so like I was really trying to get out of DC even before that job and then like I was I had like one foot out the door and I was looking for real estate and, and like, I I was trying in DC, but I was like, you know, realistically, I'm not going to get a property here in DC because it's so expensive. And also like there, there's a lot of regulations that um, for stuff I wanted to do, like I want to, I want to build also. Um, So, and, and I, and I'm saying this as someone with no money, like I don't, I, I have to start small. So like, Anyway, sorry. I wanted to move, I wanted to move out of DC, and then suddenly I get this job offer, and they're like, "Yeah, it's just for the campaign." And the great thing about it is like, if if Trump wins, then you get to stay and get this prestigious job, prestigious TM, um, <laughs> and stay and stay. <laughs> this is like this is the same story over and over again. Like, I, I, so many times I was gonna leave DC, and then I got this prestigious TM job, and it was like, oh, okay, I guess I'll stay here. And, uh, so that, that this happened again, they were like, well, you know, this prestigious TM job. And I was like, great, but I don't want anyone to know about it. I just want to be a ghost because I don't want to be pigeonholed because I'm trying to get into real estate. And I, I don't want to deal with bullshit of people trying to like come after me. Cause I'm, like, cause it's, it's fine to have haters when you're rich and you can afford your own security. But when you're just like a poor waitress, like working in DC and you're su- suddenly famous, for being right-wing and everybody fucking hates you and you have stalkers like falling into you your door which is like what I was having and I didn't know how to deal with it um it's not fine I want to wait until I'm filthy rich until I have stalkers like that again and so like anyway I was trying to get out and then when COVID hit I was like this is my opportunity because we went remote and so I basically just picked up I I so I, I, I went to LA I told him I was going on a trip to LA <laughs> visit my family so I went to LA and then I called my friend I paid her 75 bucks to put all my shit in my room in this room that I was renting in an apartment in DC put all my shit in my car and drive it out to Dulles airport and park it there and mail me the keys and then uh and then I found the place I wanted in Texas made an offer um bought the place, closed on the house before, without even being in Texas. Okay. And then I flew from LA to Dulles airport, picked up my car, drove down to Texas. And, uh, then from Texas, uh, called my, you know, my boss in DC was like, okay, you all have, you know, we're not going to be remote anymore. Everybody has to come back to Virginia. And I was like, well, I live in Texas now. So either I can keep being remote or I'm not working here anymore and they were like fine you're not working here anymore
0: that's such a baller move though
1: <laughs> best decision ever
0: <laughs> it's it's amazing because a lot of a lot of people think they have to be pegged to a job and and the one thing i've really been questioning is like what does it mean being loyal to a job if you lose your own freedoms in the process And a few years ago, I would have been like, well, you know, is is that going to look bad on your resume if they have to call your boss and figure out what happens and all this other stuff. And now I'm at the point where it's like, you know, especially in this economy right now where we're going in like emergency mode because nobody wants to work. It's like people are back in control over what they actually want to spend their time doing now. And because. Well, don't
1: quit your job yet. Yeah. Because your job. So this is the other piece of the puzzle. I didn't have money, so for anyone saying, "Well, if you didn't have money, how'd you buy a house?" I bought it because I leveraged my job to get a loan from the bank with only three and a half percent down payment. Um,
0: you
1: know, oh, yeah. yeah. So, th- so don't don't quit your job yet. <laughs> Leverage it to get a massive loan from the bank. Like it's, I mean, why not? If it's your first house, you can get you can get a government insured three and a half percent down payment loan. And it's really easy. Like it's much easier than people think. (laughs) What what, what did
0: you do as soon as you left that job? And now you're stuck with a brand new place where you don't know anybody. And now you've got a mortgage to pay. I mean, what's the next step that comes after that?
1: Well, the next step, which I'm writing about it in a book called, I will not tell you about it. Don't
0: jinx it. Don't jinx it.
1: Okay. Okay. But anyway, actually,
0: I I, want to ask this. So you, you, you drive, you fly back to Dulles. You're driving from Dulles to Texas. What was going through your mind once you realized you're actually escaping that place?
1: Um, I realized like DC served a purpose. DC was actually good. Like, I'm glad I, I went, you know, spent time there, but I realized like, um, if not for the pandemic, I probably would never have like been brave enough to make that move. If not for COVID and all that bullshit, I, I, I would have been too scared to do that. And sometimes like bad things happen and we're like, oh no, life is over, but it, it kind of prompted us to do the next big thing. And so anyway, for if, so now you're wondering, I'm in a house, I'm, I, I'm in this nice big three bedroom, beautiful. It's a, it's a, beautiful house. And I I've done a lot of work on it. I turned it into a smart home. I'm renting it out at double market value. Um, it's, it's beautiful and it's so serene and it's like, um, in a nice neighborhood, but anyway, how did, how did I do that? So, uh, without any money because I didn't have a job anymore. So first of all, I took a job at, as a restaurant waitress, um, to pay for the repairs. There was a lot of repairs that had to be done on that house. And I also got scammed a lot by contractors, which is like a whole nother story, but um, you know, there's people are hustlers out here and there's, you end up running into like a lot of just like dishonest people. So um, anyway, so I did it through house hacking. So I lived in one room and I rented out two rooms on Airbnb. And so, um, and and it wasn't like, you know, I I had a boyfriend at the time. So we were kind of like living there and it wasn't, I I didn't have it rented out the whole time. Like I started off working at a a sushi restaurant. It was all you can eat. And then, um, you know, as I was like doing the repairs on the house and stuff like that. And then eventually once the repairs were done and it was ready, like I started renting out two of the rooms. Um, and living in one and that covered my mortgage.
0: Was Airbnb better than like, you know, subleasing a room or something, because then you don't have to deal with like long-term tenants or anything. You've just got people who were there for like a few days and they come in and out.
1: Yeah. The Airbnb model was better because people were, um, you know, people were kind of like short-term people don't, aren't as tempted to like, move things around like they're not as tempted to like fidget with your house you know what I mean like they're not going to pull out the shower uh faucet or whatever and try to put it switch it with their own or whatever like because they're just visitors so they feel less entitled to like do what they want with the house um so that's what I liked about it the only problem is that during low seasons um you can't as a as a renter as as a landlord you can never be tempted to lower the rent. And I know like they always say, lower the rent, and, you know, the market goes down, you lower the rent. Don't lower the rent because you're, you're going to get every time I've lowered the price, the nightly price, whether as a long-term landlord, because I've done this before I've done, I've done like arbitrage also. And so every time I lower the price, I always got the kind of people who um, just ruin the place, trash the place. And so you always want to charge above market value because then you get the people that are, you know, they see that there's other way cheaper options and they're still choosing your house for some reason. And those are the people that are going to treat it well.
0: That's kind of the situation here at the luxury apartment complex that I live in, because what what they did recently was that they weren't going to lower, they weren't, they were not going to increase rents because the rents for my apartment... Are are probably the the highest rates in the Milwaukee suburbs, but it's because the type of people that live here are not like the people you're going to find like inside Milwaukee. Like a lot of people here, are retired professionals. There's uh, quite a few families that live here. Like it's it's a it's a it's a different type of tenant that wants to basically live in a quiet, nice place where a lot of their needs are met, and the landlords are great. But, you know, it's like for for some people in the area, while some rents were getting higher, they decided to lower theirs because they had more vacancies and because people wanting to move out of state. And they got basically the exact type of people that were looking for cheap apartments. And I don't want to stereotype them, but I will. They're the, <laughs> they're the people that are, you know, loud at night. They're the people that are damaging the rooms. They're the people that are having, you know, like six, seven people stay at their apartment during the week. Oh, and, yeah. you know, right now, It's probably a horrifying time to be a homeowner because for the last couple of years, homeowners and property owners have just been villainized because everyone is like, well, I deserve to live here. And it's like, not, not really, especially if you're a horrible tenant. Like it's, it's basically turned the country into a nation of squatters. Yeah. And that's why I get kind of nervous because I want to, I want to buy a home here, not to, live in it. Um, because even though people are like, Oh, buy a home, live the American dream, build, build equity. It's like being a homeowner now, especially for our generation does not offer the same guarantees. And you know more about this than I do. So correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like, oh, I, I want to live in a home. It's like, if I'm going to buy a home, I'm going to buy it to turn it into a rental property. And I'm probably going to stay in my apartment for another year because the cost Carter. of the living is way better.
1: No, that's, that's exactly the way to do it. And actually I'm living, this is a condo. And the reason why I bought this condo is because, um, yeah, there's like an HOA fee and all that. And it's not, it's not like my own building, but I I just, I'm tired of maintenance and I'm tired of paying so much money for maintenance in the, in the place where I live. I'd rather like charge a ridiculous amount of rent and take care of it. Like, you know, as a rental, you know what I mean? And, and then just live in a place where someone else is dealing, dealing with the maintenance and it's cheaper here.
0: How, how long after you, you got your, yourself settled in Texas, did you go and become a licensed realtor? Cause that's not a, that's not a short process.
1: Yeah. Well, actually I was doing it The I was studying for it while uh, I was on the campaign. So, um, I knew I was going to do that when I and and like a few so I was studying for the the entire time and I was able to do that remotely from an app and uh you know I I if anyone if anyone's interested they could uh email me for the um link to the real estate app but anyway Probably not, but uh, it's um, so. I basically just like a few days after I um, got to Texas was my te- was my exam for real estate, and so um, yeah, it was it was in November of 2020. So um, I, I actually bought the house and didn't move into it until like later in the year. So I bought it like in. July or something, you know, June, July. And then I didn't move into it until like end of October or November.
0: What, what were some of the challenges you encountered being a, a brand new real estate agent, especially in a year where so many people were buying homes because interest rates are so low?
1: It's really hard because um, like I didn't know what I was doing and I've spent so much time and money, like so much money and so much mileage driving around. And I guess it's everybody, every real new realtor goes through this and they spend so much time and money and, and energy on their clients. But, um, if, if you've never bought a house before, like I'm probably going to end up spending a lot of time with you and you're going to be confused as to why, um, like none of your offers are getting accepted, and you're going to think it's my fault because, um, you know, you know, you're going to think either you're going to think it's my fault or you're. If I tell you that you need to offer more, in order, you're going to think I'm going to try. I'm trying to make money off of you. So if it's your first time, there's always going to be a little bit of distrust between the buyer and the realtor. And it's. I mean, I was like, this is the first time buyer. It's everybody in a seller's market. If you're buying for the first time, you have to go in like understanding that this isn't even a normal seller's market. This is a ridiculous seller's market. I don't know if there's ever been a crazy as crazy of a market as this because everybody's trying to get the these low interest rates, and they're not even as low as when I bought it. Like I bought it in 2020, um, they, they're going up the interest rates, so people are trying to like buy these properties as fast as possible before they lose a chance and all that shit. So like there's this scramble and every property is getting like, you know, 30%, sometimes 40%, like a ridiculous amount over asking and they're getting so many buyers competing. And it's like, these properties will get on the market and, uh, you know, stop me if I'm, if I'm rambling too much. No,
0: keep going, keep going. This is interesting.
1: (laughs) Cool. Um, So these properties will like get on the market and they'll disappear within 12 hours, you know, or even less. Like sometimes like they'll get on the market immediately. These like, these buyers are like, are they, are
0: they like buying them like sight unseen?
1: Uh, well, sometimes, I mean, I've made offers sight unseen. Yeah. I've made offers without seeing the property because is that
0: is that more, is that more common than I think
1: it's very common because uh-huh. if you're, so there's, there are two different types of home buyers there's there's a, an emotional home buyer and there's the the long term home buyer which is looking at it as an investment if you're looking at something as an investment you don't give a shit like what is like what it looks like or whatever because you're seeing it as something that is you're seeing it as a tool that you can like mold to your you know and, and so what, what you're going to look at, you're going to look at the seller's disclosure, you're going to have an inspection anyway, you know, during the option period, you're going to go and look at it, but you're not, you're not looking at it. Uh, you know, m- most of the really successful real estate investors I know will never step foot into any of the homes that they are purchasing because they don't want to be, because there's the notion that if you if you go into it physically, you're going to get emotionally attached. You're going to and you're going to start caring about things that aren't going to actually bring you profit. You know what I mean? Like you're going to be like, oh wow, like this skylight is so nice, and like there there and and so so there's so it's very different from the emotional home buyer which is like oh i want to buy a house to live in because i'm going to be in it and it's going to be and i care about how i feel like what it what it looks like and usually that's not going to stay because that feeling is going to go away and usually the place is going to be staged with whatever the realtor has you know the furniture that they have from the previous owner or whatever and so and and there's always and usually it's there's whatever issues there are have been painted over so like nothing is going to look as bad as it actually is so um i don't know if i'm making sense but
0: no that that makes total sense because it's like you're going you're, you're dealing with the type of person that is looking at it purely as an investment opportunity and then you're looking at the person that wants to be more involved in the home because they're seeing themselves as that that's a place where I'm going to stay for a while
1: yeah yeah. And so like, yeah, exactly. Cause they're seeing it as a place they're going to stay for a really long time. And if, if you're not, if you are more of a long-term buyer, meaning you're the type of person that this isn't your, your only home that you're going to buy, you're going to keep buying as an investment. Um, you don't give a shit. Like you're like, okay, I'll live here for a few months at a time or I'll live here for a year and then I'll move to the next place, which is what I did. So I didn't care. Um, and, and those buyers are going to do a lot better in this market because those buyers, like they're, they're offering to win. They're not offering to get like, you know, a good deal or whatever. Like they're, they're, you know, if, if a pro, if, if a property is makes sense for them and is going to bring them long-term profit, uh, a couple thousand dollars here and there doesn't make a difference to them. So they're, they're going to offer higher if it makes sense.
0: How how did it feel when you actually sold your first home?
1: Well, uh, the first property that I sold as a realtor was, it was a commercial property and it just fell into my lap. Literally someone off Twitter was like, yeah, I'm just trying to get rid of my two lot.
0: <laughs> God and bless like, Twitter.
1: <laughs> yeah. I love it. <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, we got two lots in Fort Worth and they're, they're industrial lots. And, uh, I called my friend who's a commercial realtor. He's been doing this for 30 years and he's, he's a shark in commercial real estate. So I brought him on to, onto the deal. We partnered on it and, um, it was like an auto shop. And the funny thing is like, when Again, going back to like the emotional buyer. So like this, this buyer was really motivated and he wanted to pay in cash, um, but he wanted to save money by not having his own realtor. So the thing is that like, what ended up happening was that we, the listing agents ended up keeping the entire commission because there's no fucking subs- deal. <laughs> yeah. Because there's no such thing as you saving money on not using a realtor. <laughs> <laughs> because, because, because the commission is set through the listing agent. So it's 6% usually. The listing agent gets 6% that's written out on the contract. And the listing agent, if they so choose, which they do because they're trying to get buyers, they will give 3% to the buyer's agent or sometimes 2.5% to the buyer's agent. So if the buyer waives his, like, doesn't want to be represented by a buyer's agent, uh, the listing agent will just keep a full 6%. (laughs) Damn. So that's something people don't think about. And I also see that with first time buyers, they'll be like, yeah, I want to save money. So I'm not going to use an agent. It's like, that's not going to save you money. That's just going to mean that you're not going to have someone representing you. And since he didn't have an agent, like, he didn't know that he, he, he probably could have paid less on that. And he probably, you know, cause it was a cash offer. He probably could have offered lower. He probably could. And we're not supposed to, we're not supposed to take his side as a listing agent. We're supposed to take the seller's side. That's our job. And so, you know, like he probably would have wanted to get an inspection, which he waived and yeah, he waived his inspection. And so his, if he had it, an agent, his agent would have told him to get an inspection because there were serious pollution issues in that area. So, uh, that would have, that could have affected the long-term, uh, resellability of his property. So, you know, we, we, uh, we showed them, we disclosed everything that we had, but an agent would have told him to,
0: he just wanted to get rid of it. He
1: wanted to buy it.
0: Oh, he wanted, I mean, yeah. I mean, he just really wanted it.
1: Yeah. 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 But it's fine. I mean, he. I mean, he's he's uh, he's gonna make profit from it regardless. You, you can't not make profit in this market.
0: With, with all the people having moved out of the major cities, primarily on the the east and west coast, Texas, and you know a, a majority of southern states, Tennessee, Florida, um, they, you know, North Carolina, they, they saw giant booms in people leaving traditionally progressive strongholds because you know they got stress tested. They didn't want to deal with the taxes. They didn't want to deal with the higher expenses. They didn't want to deal with the regulations. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw like a lot of people I know who moved out of DC, they did move to Texas. It, it was it was funny with the amount of people I saw moving to Texas. What, what have you heard? Have you met anyone that moved out of like, you know, DC or like New York or anywhere else who's, who's moved down there? And if so, like wh- what, did, what did they experience? Like, why did they want to move?
1: Yeah. I've, I've been running into a lot of people who live in, who live in Texas. So, um, you know, I don't know if you'll, I don't know if you'll know some of these people, it's just a lot of people that were kind of in the DC right wing circles or kind of like in the working in the same, for the same people that I was working for, um, or like government jobs. So I, I've been randomly just running into people here in Dallas, um, in Austin, when I went, when I went there, um, I, I, you know, I go there regularly. So like, sometimes I'll meet up with friends and there's a whole bunch of people who moved to Austin, uh, from DC and Um, I don't know, you know, I, I, I know Alan Bukhari is there now. Um, you know, Ian Mason, um, you know, Mark Sepstein. um, who else was there that I saw from DC?
0: Alan was living, he, he, he wasn't living near Georgetown, but he was, yeah, I mean, he was, he, he was like in the heart of DC for the longest time. The last time I saw him was probably, uh, November, 2020. I didn't know he made the move.
1: Oh yeah.
0: He hated it there. So I'm not too surprised, but yeah.
1: Yeah. And, uh, and like why, you know, and people are like, yeah, we're going to stay in DC because we're going to like change the environment. Like you're not going to change anything. DC is like 96% blue, like, very hardcore Democrats that like have never met a conservative in their life type of thing. And they think all conservatives are like evil Nazis and they're going to try to kill you. Like, don't even bother, don't even bother, build your empire somewhere else and come in from a position of power with whatever you want to do in life. You know, like, that's how I see it.
0: That's the title of today's episode. Build your empire. (laughs) Partis.
1: Yeah, and build in Texas cuz there's a lot of people that want you in Texas. There's there's a lot of conservatives in Texas and and they'll be happy to like, you know, see you succeed.
0: Okay, if if you had to pitch Texas to somebody over Florida, any other state that saw a massive population increase, wh- why would you say Texas?
1: Um well for me, um Texas is just less infested by new yorkers. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> if you I mean I live in New York too a little bit, but New York just stresses me out.
0: Nobody wants to live near new yorkers. <laughs> That's just the truth. Yeah. Maybe New York is bad because the people there made it that way. No one ever wants to say
1: that. <laughs> yeah, and they think like they're the center of the universe, dude. <laughs>
0: It's like, like, how do you know if somebody's a CrossFitter, a vegan, or from New York? How? They don't shut up about it.
1: (laughs) That's funny, actually. And it's it's true. (laughs) Dang. Okay. I'm going to start using that. You can steal it.
0: I stole it from somebody else.
1: Okay. Okay. (laughs) I want to steal it. I'll say your name, though. Um, So, Texas is good because it's uh, just... But Florida is actually pretty great too. I actually, Florida was number two on my list. I was between Dallas and Tampa. And uh, also Charleston, South Carolina was like number three. So it's really between Dallas and Tampa. And I ended up choosing Dallas because it's more central and it's really just the airport. DFW has way more, first of all, DFW is landlocked. So it's it's a lot easier for what I wanted to do, which is real estate. It's easier to build and you can build out and whatever. and There's a lot of municipalities in Texas that don't really have zoning laws. In fact, Houston's the largest city that has no zoning laws. And it's about three hours away from here. So I figured if I wanted to start investing in Houston, it would be pretty easily accessible. And um, that's probably where house number three is going to be, Houston. But I don't know yet. I don't want to jinx it. And um, yeah, so like there's that. And then the airport, everything is cheaper from DFW because it's such a big, like central airport. And like from Tampa, I mean, Tampa's kind of like, you know, in the corner out there, it's farther from LA where my family is. And it's, you know, you can't drive from Tampa to Mexico. You can, I mean, you you can, but it's much easier to do that from Texas. Um, Because another thing is that I also see myself eventually ending up in Mexico. So I kind of see myself you know, kind of making the downward tour, and Mexico is, and this is just, and so this isn't really why is Texas better, this is just why is, was Texas more ideal for me? You know, this is, you know, for more of like an apocalyptic sort of idea of like, okay, when the United States falls to communism, blah, 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 don't listen to any of my conspiracy theories, but, if I were to ever have to escape, it would be a lot easier from Texas. My
0: my my business partner, Mark, uh, married a Mexican woman. And when he was furloughed from uh, his job in, in L.A., he moved to Mexico right around April of 2020. And he's been back and forth since. He's currently there right now. And he wants to wow. obtain Mexican citizenship because he's like, you know, while things here are not exactly like the United States... We didn't get hit with the lockdown mandates as hard. They weren't pushing the vax on people. Everyone here is pretty much, you know, doing their own thing. Like, you know, the government is is not perfect. And you know, the cartels are in a lot of shit. But he's like, you know, if I have to compare living back in California to living, you know, on, on the south side of Mexico City, I'll take Mexico City. Yeah. And this has been the best thing for me, because while you know and i'm speaking on, on his behalf, he's like, while all my other friends back in the United States were suffering, I was pretty much just kind of left alone by all this interesting and yeah and I mean, if he can get that second passport because that that's a that, that, that's a priority for me I've been researching. Um, getting dual citizenship in, in another country, not because I, I want to go live there or something, but because like if if some shit goes down and I want to leave, if I show up to the airport and I want to go like Europe or something, and I only have an American passport, you know, they'll do what they did last time. They'll keep me here. But if I can yeah. flash like, you know, Spain, Portugal, something else, they
1: by law, they have to let me go. We should talk about this after the podcast. There's a lot, there's a lot that you and I are doing in common. Um, it's crazy. Like the more I'm hearing you talk, the more I'm like, shit, this is. And so you should also watch Nomad Capitalist, Andrew Henderson.
0: Love that. Um, do you know, uh, do you know the expat money show? No, I'm going to send you, I'm going to send you like Mikkel Thorpe is a friend of mine. I've had him on the show before he worked for, uh, 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 escapist.com where he teaches people how to be, um, you know, basically professional nomads and stuff like that and how to avoid taxes. And yeah. I mean, it's, it's the whole reason to, to kind of wrap things up. It's the whole reason why I left my old show, which was all about politics. And I started on the run because, you know, my, my old show got me thousands of listeners who were just listening to really the same types of conversations they could get elsewhere, and I wasn't impacting anyone's lives. Now I've got a smaller audience of people, but the stuff I'm talking about, when people get to hear about how you escaped one of the shittiest cities in America and rebuilt yourself, it's like people are actually taking action. Because it's not good enough just to have grand ideals and you know talk about things from a spectator view. If we're not trying to actually do something big in our lives, we're yeah. going to get dragged down the next time something terrible happens. I don't know what it is, but they did it once. They did it twice. They'll do it again. And the only people that will save us are ourselves. It's you having a friend pack up your car, drive it to the airport so you could fly back and getting out so you could go ahead and start a career you knew nothing about and succeed at it.
1: It's it's amazing. Thank you. I feel like you're speaking my language. This no, is- you're,
0: you're my spirit animal. I wish I had jumped into a completely different career field. I had, I had, I'm basically doing the same thing. And now I've got, you know, I've got other plans I'm trying to do, but it's like one of the situations where it's like, you know what? Like there's no, there, there's, there, there's a risk in staying where I'm at and there's a risk in doing something else. And at the end of the day, I know I'll be able to take care of myself. Might as well take the risk for what I actually want to do.
1: Well, I think there's a lot we can collaborate on because it sounds like you're, it sounds like you've changed your, you've, you have changed your direction like a lot and you're, you're kind of, you're creating content that is a lot more. I mean, it's, it's very similar to like content that I'm watching now. I mean, this is, this is like shit. I'm like watching YouTube 24 seven on like how to do this, how to get, you know, Get in this, and I'm trying to learn. And it's a lot of it is just going over my head. But I'm I'm trying to learn how to buy real estate in other countries, and you know, like how do I do that as an American? And I know the U.S. is is I know that I'm not the only one that is thinking this because the U.S. is clamping down on allowing people to get second passports. Like they're making it harder and they're they're making it more expensive to try and revoke your U.S. citizenship because they're panicking, and the reason why is I know there are so many people like you and I that are having these thoughts. And so there's content that, you know, this is a mar this is a growing market, you know, for, and and so there's like, yeah.
0: Yeah. If you don't, if you don't control the source of your income and if you don't have the ability to move freely and work from anywhere, thanks to a laptop or a phone or whatever, you're, you're going to encounter what, I encountered in DC, which is they're going to cut your pay. They're going to keep you there. You're, you're just, you're, you're just going to struggle. And I mean, I I've said it, I've said it a couple of times over the last couple episodes, because people have been like, Oh, you know, you're, you're kind of different now. And it's like, I I can't, I can't not be different after the last couple of years. And it's like, if people are the same, if people think and act the same way as they did in like February, 2020, especially after everything that's happened since, I don't really know if they took it that seriously or if they were that affected because it impacted me. It impacted so many people and the people that it did are permanently changed because of it. And I think in better ways, some people will call it more paranoid, but it's like, you know, I I can go to sleep better at night knowing that I've I've prepared and I am preparing.
1: Yeah. Well, okay. So this is like totally random, but... So you're in Milwaukee now Mm -hmm. and you didn't know anybody when you moved there.
0: No, I I knew the people I worked with in my office. And after three months of not making a single friend, I started doing jujitsu, uh, three, four days a week. And that's how I got out and became social and learned about things. Other than that, uh, I, I still like, I, I, st- I like I know where to go and do things, but otherwise, like you know, it took me probably a year to really like figure out w- where the hell am I?
1: <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's interesting. And like, so is there like do you see do you see it as somewhere where you feel like you can settle down, or like I mean, do you see it as somewhere? I don't know. Is it treating you well?
0: <laughs> it, it it's treating me well. You know, the settle down question. I I don't know. I I see. I I see, and, you know, we, we can talk about it offline a bit. I see a lot of big opportunities to make a ton of money here. And yeah. me being in a place where nobody political knows me, I have no involvement in conservative activities here, no libertarian activities. I am, nobody here knows me. And the people that do know me and everything I did in DC often get suspicious because they're like, what is he doing? And the truth is I'm not. Like they're they're useless <laughs> people. I I really don't care. But my thing is like there's a couple of years right now where because of the changing markets, because of the people who have moved to Wisconsin, Wisconsin saw a lot of people leave the major cities, but they saw a lot of people move into the state for work and other opportunities because of cost of living. There's there's big opportunities for me to to make connections and build relationships that I wouldn't really have back home. And there's a lot of money to be made here if people know where to look. So my thing is like, this is where I'm trying to build my empire. This is where I'm going to have a base for a lot of things. And then my ideal goal would be, to probably move back down South simply because I want to live in a no income tax state where the weather is warmer and where I'm closer to more metropolitan areas to expand business opportunities.
1: Interesting.
0: So I I see myself here for, for the long haul, but I don't see myself physically having to be restrained here. I, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to live here forever. I got you. Yeah.
1: It, what kind of stuff? What kind of stuff do you find is like most lucrative in Milwaukee? Like when you say there's a lot of money to be made. There,
0: uh, I I invested. Uh, I'll spoil a little bit of it. I I invested in um in a local craft brewery that cool. was actually yeah like it, it was a they they were looking for investors for private equity because what they want to do is they want to expand their locations to um, Woodstock Illinois. Denver, Colorado. And um, I I forget the third location, but like during the pandemic, they didn't lay off any of their employees. They actually increased their profits from the year before. And they have a, a great business model because of you know, how they, how they select what beer they're going to brew and how they market it to people and how they get it on shelves here in Milwaukee. So I was like, you know, this is a one, it was a great business opportunity because I'm like, I could see money coming out of this. Like I'm going to grow my initial investment. It's going to be great. But I also did it because it's like, I don't know any business owners. I don't know any important people. I don't know what the important people and rich people are thinking. I should go be in a circle where they're going to see me as an equal because it's like, Oh, we're all investors. We all have a, a, you know, a vested interest in seeing this succeed. And, you know, obviously they have their hands in other things. It was like, I got to build my network because your network is your net worth. And, you know, as a, as a professional digital marketer, there's a lot of businesses here that, you know, saw what happened when you can't directly reach out to your customers and with you know two and three small businesses in 2020 shutting down permanently, the small businesses that are still around understand that the difference between them staying around and them getting replaced by Amazon or Walmart or something is a matter of how hard they're willing to work for it. So now they're actually willing to spend the time and the money and listen to people like me in order to survive and thrive because I don't just want to help small businesses just get by. I I want to see people change their lives. And, um, there's, there's a good opportunity for that here too. So, I mean, I just look at this and I'm just, you know, I I drive around town sometimes and I'm like, I could walk into that place right now and give them a card and tell them what I could do for them. And maybe there's a shot that they don't respond, but like, what if they say yes, Like a lot of people are in a position where they're like, if they're not going to say yes immediately, I don't have to push them. I don't have to take that. No, they just need to meet me. They just need to know I'm out there. And I I think, I think there's a good, there's a good opportunity for that. So like, I'm not, I'm not leaving my, yeah. Like I'm not leaving my nine to five anytime soon, but it goes into that aspect of build multiple streams of active and passive income. I'll, I'll never have to, worry about that. So, I mean, if I were back in DC, like, you know, I I couldn't do this, but here in the Midwest, there's, there's opportunity.
1: Oh yeah. And then, and also another reason to not leave your nine to five job is that you can, if it's, you know, if it's something that you can stay at, you can leverage it for, you can keep leveraging it for loans. And uh, I, I kind of wish I had a nine to five that I, I, you know, that I could still keep leveraging, but like you know, I, I actually, my second property, I also was able to get because of I briefly had another nine to five that I was able to leverage. And that, you know, was that company kind of like lost their financing they weren't able to keep, you know, uh, paying me. But if you can keep a nine to five that is going to like stay, you can build up. And this is just on the real estate side, but I'm sure you can do it with so many other things. Like you can build up a really big portfolio of investments because you can just lev- leverage your job for a loan. constantly. Well, well
0: it's like right now I, I live on my side hustle income. It pays my rent, it pays my utilities, it pays my bills and stuff like that. And then nice. I'm, I'm investing my earned income. Nice. And it's like, you know, it's going to take a while, but it's like, I've made more money. Like I, I was unemployed for like six months in 2020 in 2021. Like, I I made more money the moment I moved here to Milwaukee than I ever have in my entire life. And it's like, you know, it's, it's one of those moments where it's like, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm engaged right now. My, my fiance is still working for her family in Annapolis until she moves here. But it's like, I lived here and I lived like a monk. I don't have friends. I don't, you know, do a lot of stuff. I live a very inexpensive lifestyle. I had a good family that was able to help, you know, get me here and get me settled and stuff like that. So it was like, just hustle. Nice. That's,
1: that's the way to do it. That's how all the the, the the weird thing is that the wealthier people get the less they seem to want to spend. And it's, and it's like, you know,
0: I mean, it's, it's all about like, how do I get my own time back? Because when you know, like I, I came at life with a scarcity mindset, it was like, just accumulate as much money as possible. And now yeah. it's like, now, since I have a different view on money, it's like, how can I use money to, to make my life better in a way where it's like, i I want to be able to buy my own time back. I want to not have to worry about certain things. It's like money can't solve everything, but money can solve a lot of problems, yeah uh, it has been a fantastic hour getting to catch up with you. And I'm so proud having watched from a distance and being able to talk to you. They have all the things you've been able to do for yourself. You should be incredibly proud of every accomplishment you've made since you made that decision to launch a great escape from D.C. If people want to reach out to you, if people right, are back. even yeah, looking, to you by the way, thank you. If people want to reach out to you, if they want to go ahead and maybe, you know, bring themselves or their families to Texas and all that, how could they do so?
1: Uh hit me up on Twitter. Um, you know, my real estate email is PARDIS at centralmetro.com. So centralmetro.com. Um, you know, maybe uh hit me up through either Twitter or YouTube. And I I do have uh, you know, if you go my about section in YouTube, there's always gonna be an email there. And my email addresses keep changing because There's just always shit happening, but there's always going to be an email uh, for you to contact me on through my YouTube as well.
0: Awesome, Pardis. Thank you so much. Folks, if you want to go ahead and help the show, please go ahead and consider leaving a five-star rating interview across Al Gore's amazing internet. Wherever you're listening to the show and others, you can go ahead and leave a review today. It costs you nothing, but it means everything to me, helps us get conversations like this out to the world so we can keep impacting lives. And if you're a small business or an individual developing a brand, go ahead and DM me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Let's go ahead, schedule a coaching call and actually build you a success plan that will take place as soon as you call me. From the moment we we talk to each other, we're going to go ahead and figure out your situation, develop what your goals are, see what tools and resources you need to accomplish that based on your budget, and then start getting you results immediately. Go ahead and DM me today, wherever you go ahead and see me across social media. As always, be safe, be good. Good night.